All rise. The state of Hawaii and the county of Honolulu. Supreme Court is now in session. Judge Dave Stewart, judge, in session. You may now have a seat. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning counsel. We have an interesting case before the court today. Uh, we have a group of Christians, which is you, that are on trial. We have a group of esteemed prosecutors from the state of Hawaii who want to challenge you folks on what you believe. The parties have stipulated that the rule book today will be the Bible, the Word of God. First Peter 3.15 says, be ready how often? Always. To give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We're not here to instill fear in anybody, but that's what the Bible says today. And so the prosecutors will come up one by one. They have questions for you. And uh, the way it works here is we'll give a person, a volunteer, an opportunity to respond to the question and answer it to the satisfaction of the prosecutor. And if, if they don't, we'll give a second person op an opportunity to respond. Only two maximum of two witnesses per question and then the prosecutor may give additional information to augment the answer at the end. Bailiff, can we do something about that noise? It's really noisy here today. Shh. <laughs> well, when your courtroom's built by the lowest bidder, sometimes they build it on top of an airport. Okay, are the prosecutors ready to go? All right, Mr. Myers, I think you're up first. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, so, um, I understand that uh, our audience, uh, those of you that are on trial, are the group known as the Seventh-day Adventists, is that correct? Well. Um, it's uh, unfortunate that you have decided to be Adventist because it is clear that your beliefs do not uh, measure up with the Word of God. For example, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and I'd like for you to open up to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And uh, please notice with me verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, the Bible says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. And we can just stop right there. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that the early church met on the first day of the week. Here it is, right in the scripture. The fact that you guys as Adventists keep the seventh day of the week seems contrary to the word of God. What is your answer? All right. Do we have any volunteers that would like to um, answer the question? If so, just raise your hand. And so the question is, why do you as Seventh-day Adventists keep the seventh day when the book of Acts chapter 20 verse 7 specifically tells us that the early church met on the first day of the week? This gentleman right. over there. We have a uh, Come up quickly, sir, please. You could just come up here to the right side of the stage. We have a microphone here for the witnesses. My response is Revelation 14. Sir, state 12. your name, please. Eduardo Urrutia. Hold your mic close. Eduardo Urrutia. There you go. Thank you. Are you my, go ahead and answer the question. My response is Revelation 14, 12. That says, for the people supposed to be keeping the Sabbath in the last time. Okay, Your Honor. In the um, time. According to Revelation 14, verse 12, I... I think I know that verse uh, pretty well. It speaks about 
uh, keeping the commandments of God and having the faith of the testimony of Jesus. Yes. Uh, but my point is that Sunday is the commandment of God. It is the Lord's day. And so again, I ask, yes. how is it that Acts I 20 go. verse 7 uh, clearly go. says. Wait a minute, only one at a time. Let him finish this question. Clearly says that the early church kept the first day of the week. Okay. Genesis 2, 1 to 3 says that the Lord finished the work in seven days and they uh, sanctified that day. Okay. I think he's really wanting to know what your response is to what Acts says, not what other verses say. Do you have an answer for what Acts right. talks that about? Right. That was the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, I agree, the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. But in the New Testament, because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and he rose up on the first day of the week, the Bible, the New Testament church, kept the first day of the week. I feel so sorry for you guys. Do you want to take one more crack at it, sir? No, I have here. Okay. Matthew 5, 17. All right, I think he's really wanting to know if you can respond to what Acts says, not other verses. Oh, okay. You read very good that verse that says exactly that it has to do. Amen. This is my response. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Gentry, you want to take a crack at it? Uh, sir, I, I step down, please. Sir, I please, can you, you go please come around. over here the correct come way? Just so you know, this area is called the well. No one approaches the well unless you please ask Please don't do permission. that again. Thank you. Right over there. All right. Please state your name. David Gentry. Do you have a criminal record? <laughs> no. All right, thank you. Go ahead. Okay, the question was Acts 20, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week. Okay, they... <clears throat> the question, Acts 20, verse 7, upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Why do we keep the seventh day when it's obvious here that the disciples were meeting on the first day of the week? Uh, well, my understanding, and I think a lot of uh, Seventh-day Adventist understanding of this verse stems from our belief that the day, in biblical sense, actually begins in the evening. So, the, unfortunately, to support that, I did have to go to the Old Testament where it says that in the evening and morning were the first day. So if you actually go back to the creation event itself, the evening and the morning, the day is defined as the evening first then the morning. So if you go to Acts 20 verse 7, it says here, the first day of the week the disciples came together to break bread and that Paul preached on them ready to depart on the morrow and his, his speech continued until midnight. So what actually happened was Paul was preaching to them until midnight Saturday night and then he was going to depart after that Sunday morning. So that's I did have to use the old Any follow-up questions? I rest my case, Your Honor. Thank you so much. All right. Mr. Packlip. Let me, let me add very quickly, if you also go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 46, you'll see, 42 and 46, you'll see that the early church broke bread every day of the week. So breaking bread on a particular day of the week doesn't make that day a holy day. Thank you. All right, Mr. Packlip, you look very nice today, but the proper decorum for attorneys is to wear a jacket and tie. <laughs> but we'll, we'll let it slide this morning. You have a question? Yes. Your Honor, these people arrayed before you claim to believe in a God of infinite love and power. And yet, we live in a world that is plagued with pain and suffering and evil. And so my question is, how can we believe, or you folks believe in a God that is a God of love and a God of power, and yet we live in a world that is so messed up? Why does he allow little 
innocent children to fall into a swimming pool and drown? Why does he allow a, a husband to be on his way to his wedding to get into a car accident and die and the wife to be now instead of it being the best day of her life, it's the worst day of her life? And how could a loving God allow 20 innocent children and six adults to die in cold blood just yesterday? How could we understand a God like this? Your Honor, I, this is evidence that there is no God. And even if there was a God, surely He doesn't really care about us when He allows these things to take place in our world. All right, would someone like to answer that question? Is there a brave soul? All right, we have a hand in the back. Uh, John Wayne. Come forward. And please don't stagger when you walk. Can we please hurry up? Yes, let's. Thank you. Please state your name. Uh, my name is John Wayne Sutton. Into the II. mic, please. My name is John Wayne Sutton II. Thank you. Um, I have to go to two passages to uh, give you my explanation of this verse. If you can, uh, okay, uh, two passages. Um, there is a lot of sin, actually. Uh, I, I had a Chinese friend of mine ask me the same question. And uh, you won't find the word fishbowl in the Bible, but I describe this as the fishbowl principle. Um, where does the fish go to the bathroom? We're in a fishbowl. And, uh... Sir, there are children in the audience. Has anybody have a pet fish before? Any children? Okay, so I think the analogy is applicable to our audience. Um, Genesis 20... Genesis 22... Uh, shows... Genesis 22 shows, uh... Uh, God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, which many of us understand is this is a uh, precursor for God offering, willing to offer his own son for us. What this shows is that God is willing to endure the ultimate agony so that we can have a second chance at life. Uh, God didn't have to save us and God did not have to give us a second chance at life from the sin which uh, we committed, the human race committed in Genesis 3. But God has given us a second chance at life, and that second chance at life is very costly. It's most costly to God because it cost him his son, and it cost him his life because Christ is God. However, it also costs us something, too. We have to endure uh, a lot of bad stuff in this world until we get to the end result. Secondly, the end result is not this world. God did not die or create us to be comfortable in this world. He created us for another world. Genesis or Revelation um, 21 verse 4 Revelation 20 verse 21 verse 4 when God remakes the world in the New Jerusalem there's a very poignant statement after the new city comes down this is after um, when God completely makes an end of sin and destroys de death itself. It says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor more sorrow, nor more crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen. This is the time in which we don't have to suffer anymore, but it's, we're going to suffer a lot more until then. But this is the ultimate point. God has eternity in plan for us, a perfect eternity, but we have to endure some heartache now until we get to that point. Do you, wanna, do you have some follow-up yes. questions? That is a very good answer. But if God has the power to prevent 20 innocent children from dying, why didn't he do it? That is a very good question. Uh, <laughs> amen. God has given everyone, God has given every one of us the freedom of choice. And that's to make good choices and bad choices. And I go back to the fishbowl principle. All right? 
we in this world, we will pay the consequences often of our own choice, even though God forgives us of our sin. Sometimes we will still endure the consequences for our wrong actions, but because we are in a fishbowl locked into on the surface of this planet, uh, we are also running into the bad choices of other people. And we will not escape those choices. We will not escape the presence of sin until Revelation 21 and God destroys death itself. And so, you know, that's the cost of life. And uh, it's not what we're left with. We have, uh, we have an eternity without this if we're willi willing to endure for a short while. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was a very good answer, amen? A few things just to add on to that, that wonderful answer is that, first of all, we must remember there's no real easy way to answer this question in its specifics in every single, single situation. Bad things, furthermore, are not an evidence that there is no God. Bad things happening in this world is more of an evidence of evil and, as he mentioned, an evidence of free choice. And why has God given us free choice? People need to understand this. God has given us choice because he desires a relationship based on love. And love by its very nature requires choice. If there is no choice, there's no such thing as love. But when you give someone freedom to choose, freedom produces a risk. But in God's heart and mind, the love relationship was worth him taking this, this risk. And so we live in a world of cause and effect. We reap what we sow, but we also reap or experience that which others have sown as well. And uh, just a few verses that you can share on top of this is uh, Psalms 107, verse 17. Psalms 107 and verse 17. It says, fools, because of their transgressions, are afflicted. And so because of our own choices or transgressions, we experience affliction and suffering. And then also Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10 in the Lord's Prayer, he, he told us when we pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the fact that Jesus asked us to pray that God's will will be done on earth implies that God's will is not being done on earth. So whose will is being done? Our will and the devil's will. And as a result of doing it our way, we, we, we reap the, 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 the suffering that we have sown in this world. And then finally, uh, the first point that he mentioned was, is probably the last point that you want to uh, close with. And that is the fact that Jesus took our suffering upon himself, the innocent one. He didn't do anything wrong. And he bore all our pain and suffering. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I am come that they may have life and life more abundantly. Thank you, Mr. Paclip. All right, uh, Mr. McIntosh. Appreciate you dressing up for court today. Thank you. This uh, is a gift from Calvin Ken. Ken, I mean, Kim, a friend of a friend of the court. Your Honor, I have a question for these uh, despicable people you've allowed into your courtroom. All right, counsel, that's enough. Thank Ask you, Your question. Honor. question. I need to counsel the attorneys not to be argumentative, but to just ask a neutral question. I didn't think that was argumentative, Your Honor, but I, 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 I'm very happy to be corrected by someone as nice as you. When I start hearing words like despicable. <laughs> I think, I think uh, we should move to the question, Your Honor. I'm really glad you suggested that. <laughs> You know, these Adventists, I've come across a number of them. They're lovely people, Your Honor, and yet, as I notice what they eat, it concerns me because um, they don't eat certain things, which I think uh, are needed in the diet. They don't get enough protein. They don't get their vitamins and minerals, and so I begin to read the book that they claim to uh, believe in, Your Honor. They ask it to them. And I uh, just want to make sure we're on the same stage. Um, 
And in Acts chapter 10, I read the story about a sheep. It says in Acts chapter 10. Did you say a sheep or a sheet? Your Honor, do not bring in your dietary choices. Uh, it was a sheet, Your Honor. What verse? Chapter 10, verse 9 and following. The next day as they went on their journey, drew near the city, Peter went upon the housetop to pray. So this was like the hour of prayer. He had gone to the prayer room. And he had a great experience in the prayer room. He became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance, which also is interesting for Christians to consider, and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him, let down to the earth, and in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and a voice came to him, and it's in red letters in this particular Bible, and it says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Now, I do not know why Seventh-day Adventist Christians don't take the Bible as it reads, very literally. So I think they should eat all those things from the sheet. All right, we have a volunteer. Come on up, ma'am, quickly, please. Walk with purpose, but don't run. Right up here. Please state your name. I'm Asinate Kadina from Sacramento, California, Maranatha Church. Can you folks hear? Okay. Your question was, how come we, uh, how come we as Seventh-day Adventists um, don't uh, take the Bible literally by what Peter was shown? Uh, right after that verse, it says, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So to me, Peter was just trying to tell the, the Lord, Lord, I've never participated in eating any unclean meat. So to your question, that's the reason why I, representing many of my fellow brethren here, have not partaken of the unclean meat that was shown on that sheet. Your Honor, can I follow up? I think the lady needs to keep reading. Because <laughs> a second voice comes from heaven in verse 15 and says, what God has cleansed, you shall not call common. So actually, God answered this particular argument and said it's all been cleansed. So, Right after that, it says, the vision was given three times, and then it went back to heaven. Yeah, it was clean when it was up. It was dirty when it came down, but cleansed, and then it was cleaned again and cleaned three times, so <laughs> looks pretty good to eat to me. And right after that, right after that, he was told what to do, and that is to um, go to the Gentiles, go to the men that had a question about... Do you have so a verse the, you're talking about? Yes, if okay, you keep wait reading. a minute, wait a minute. This is not who wants to be a millionaire. Okay? There's no lifelines from the audience. I know you want to help. If you but keep there's only one way to be heard, and that's to be at the witness stand. All right? If you keep reading further, um, Your Honor, if you keep reading further, you will see, uh, like one of my uh, sisters Do you have a just verse? Out. Yes. Okay. It says uh, in verse 28, And he said unto them, you know, no, you know now how that it is an unfull thing that a man that is due to keep company or to come uh, um, unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay, so, so here it was not referring to food that you devour, but man that God made Jew, Gentile, no unclean, no clean. They are all clean and they are children of God. 
I have one more question for you. Just because Peter could not understand what he heard or saw, is there anything else in the book of Acts that would support your argument that actually comes from God? Because, you know, it says three times, and then he just says, well, what I understand that to mean is no man, but I'm just wondering, is there anything else in the book of Acts that would uh, help you explain this conundrum? Okay. Yeah, what is your question for, for me to answer? Well, three again. times it says, you know, it's clean, it's clean. It goes up, 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 clean, 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 clean. And then he says, what I think it means is nobody, no man should be common or unclean. But, uh, you know, he could be wrong. So is there any other evidence in the book of Acts that you could use to point uh, me to? circumcision, uncircumcised and circumcised, right after that uh, we can read uh, in 46. Sister, that's nothing to do I mean, uh, I don't put circumcision in the same, on the no. same plate no, we don't as, uh, Even in the time that we are living We in, don't circumcise know? pigs okay? No, 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 uh, at the time that we're living we don't put them in the same thing. I've never seen right. circumcision on the menu, Your, right. your Honor Thank you, I think that'll uh, do it Thank you so much, ma'am do you want to go ahead and Okay, let me just say that, that I thought she did an excellent job. Uh, um, Your Honor, uh, given the climate that's been created here of unrest, but I would say there's an additional thing that all of us need to be aware of in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. And in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, you had directions that were given that were actually a summary of all the Old Testament laws concerning diet. Verse 19. <clears throat> I judge, Acts 15, 19, that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, certainly not call them common or unclean, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality. Where is that from? That's Leviticus 18 describes sexual immorality, from things strangled, in other words, how to prepare food, and from blood. These are all code phrases that come from Leviticus 18 through 21, and they show all of the principles of clean and unclean as well as diet. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. All right, Mr. Page. Thank you, Your Honor. So you are the Seventh-day Adventist? All right, uh, just checking. Does that mean you believe in a seven-day creation? Actually, six days, I think, they do. Six, oh, sorry, uh, six days. I should do my research a little better. Well, I, uh, I heard that you also believe in a day-for-year principle. Is this correct? Where is that found in the Bible? This is in the question, uh, Your Honor. This, Okay, I was doing research, and in Numbers 14.34, I understand that you see that there's a day-for-a-year principle. Is that correct? Well, I'm trying to help you. Um, why not say that there were seven years of creation? Uh, in fact, in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, it says that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. So why not have a 7,000-year creation period rather than this six literal days? I mean, how would Adam have named all the animals in, in one day? I don't, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, do we have someone like to answer the prosecutor's question? This young lady right here. Uh, hold your cheering till she's done. Thank you, Your Honor. Please state your name. Um, I'm Lonnie. Don't cheer. I might be wrong. <laughs> That's my point. Go um, ahead. Your name, please. <laughs> I'm Lonnie from Waianae, um, Hawaii. Um, Order. So um, uh, the day for the year principle comes from prophetic time and not literal time. So that's my answer. Okay, so I... Is that what you were asking? You want to follow up? Well, I mean, it seems pretty prophetic to me that it's a day is a thousand years. That's, I mean, Second Peter's kind of right in the, the midst of a, talking about the second coming. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So what was the question again? 
Yeah, uh, why can't it be seven years or 7,000 years or 6,000 years of creation? So I think he's wondering. Or Genesis 1. Why do you not apply the day year principle to the seven days or six days of creation? Because it took six literal days for God to create the, the world. Amen. So, so Genesis, you want me to go to a Bible verse? Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Go to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. Sorry. I just thought, yeah. Genesis chapter 1. And let's just go to, um, in Genesis chapter 1, it specifically tells us what these days consisted of. And it consisted of that in verse 5, um, Genesis 1, 5, it says, And God called them the first day he made the light. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day um, when he created the heaven and the earth and all that was in it. Um, these days, he explained what these days were. They were from the morning until the evening, so they were literal days. Compared to the prophecies, they were just uh, days for, for a year uh, when you study them out. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank Amen. you. Thank you. Did you uh, want to augment her answer at all? Yeah, I'd also add that um, in Genesis 1, the day used in Hebrew is yom, which if you look throughout uh, the Bible, that's not used in the Hebrew to, to ever refer to a, a prophecy of a day for a year. That's, that's not the word. You know, like in Daniel 8.14, you're not seeing yom there, right? You're not seeing a day. So it's important to remember that. Thank you very much. All right. Um, Alongan? Mr. Long, pardon? Alan Dugan. Sorry, Mr. Alan Dugan. You have a question. Good morning, Your Honor. With all due respect, Your Honor. Um, That's nice. You have made comments regarding the way we dress in Hawaii. According to. I wasn't going to bring it up, but. If you want to, go ahead. According to our mock constitution, Article 5, Section 6, Subsection C, it states that when in Hawaii, dress with aloha. Where's that found in the Bible? Revelation chapter 63, verse 1. Your Honor, would you like me to take him to the back and speak to him for a second? <laughs> Afterwards. I'd like everyone to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, verse 40. Matthew chapter 24, verse 40. When you're there, say amen. It says, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. All right, you Seventh-day Adventists, I, I don't understand you, okay? You say there's no secret rapture. You say that somehow the righteous are not going to be whisked away during the time of trouble. But Scripture clearly states in Matthew chapter 24, verse 40, that one will be taken and one will be left. There is a secret rapture. Why can't you see that? Prove from scripture to me that there is no secret rapture. Apparently all those that could answer the question have already been raptured away. Is there, <laughs> is there anyone left who would There's care to answer the right question? Over here. Your Honor, right here with the flower in her hair. Okay, you want to come on up? Please state your name for the record. Andrea Anderson. And um, that is a very um, good question, but if you're reading the whole context of the scripture there, um, look at verse 30. 37, but as in the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so when we go to how it was in the days of Noah, um, and you're looking at it, at the connection there, you have um, 
who was left and who was taken. Uh, the, the Noah and his family were the ones left, and the ones outside the boat were the ones taken. And so when you look at it, yeah, in the end times, it will be like the days of Noah, but you don't want to be the one taken. That's it. I mean, it's pretty simple from Scripture, don't you think? I rest my case. All right, thank you. Next question. Uh, you only get one question. <laughs> if there's time, we'll go back. I, we'll do another round. Ah. I place myself at the mercy of the court. Thank you. Good for you. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Myers, do you have another question? By the way, while you're asking, the four of you can talk among yourselves because if you want to go in a different order, or let someone else go before you, and then you can work that out amongst yourselves. Otherwise, I'm just going to go in the same order we went. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that has uh, always concerned me about the teachings of Seventh-day Adventists is that you take away uh, the blessed hope that uh, loved ones have when uh, their loved ones die. I mean, this thought that... Uh, you're asleep in the grave um, instead of being in heaven is a most um, uh, discouraging thought. Uh, nonetheless, the Bible is pretty clear. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, uh, the Bible tells us uh, basically that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's pretty clear. Pretty clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, verse 6 uh, through 8, actually. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, we can just look, uh, for example, at the fact that um, Jesus uh, was able to speak with Moses uh, and Elijah, uh, which is evident that uh, when you die, you go straight to heaven. So how do you, as Seventh-day Adventists, uh, explain this scripture and the fact that uh, even Moses and Elijah themselves uh, are in heaven. Sir, you want to come on up, please? You should probably bring the microphone down to him. Uh, I'll let him choose. You want to come up on stage, sir? Well, I can, yeah, I can take it. Probably should. I'll be with you or something. I can help you with that. Sure, come on up. Come on up. You're his attorney? <laughs> come on up. Oh, do you mean assist him physically or with the answer? can help him physically. <laughs> Come on up. All right, if you could talk in the mic so everybody could hear you. I Please state your name for the record. My name is Mel Young. I'm an Australian. And could you talk in the mic? I'm a, I'm a, I'm, oh, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Tilt it up. My name is Mel. <coughs> about there. About there. Is that right? All right. What is the question? <laughs> <laughs> the question is, what is your name? My name is Mel Young. You want me to All spell right. it? <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. You don't know. Oh, All right. Say that. Do you remember his question? Yes. All right. Are you prepared to answer? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. The question was, <laughs> what? <laughs> I've got the answer, but I know. What was the question again? Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, <laughs> the question was, uh, the Bible teaches oh, that to be yeah. absent from the body, yeah. to be present with the Lord, yeah. and the evidence of that is Elijah and Moses, who uh, both, uh, Jesus saw both of them 
uh, during his transfiguration. So, well, so the question the is, question. is how, how do you, how do you right. as Adventists believe that when a person dies, they simply rest in the grave? Now, I know the verses you use to talk about uh, sleep, but what I'm saying is that 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 tells us very specifically that when you die, you go straight. So that may have been the Old Testament that when you die, you sleep. But since Christ, now when you die, you go straight to heaven. Well, in uh, in uh, uh, what, what was it? when when uh, when um, what's his name? <laughs> See, I need my wife. <laughs> Your attorney. When when um, that the, the Lazarus died, Jesus said, in uh, in what, what, uh, Matthew. I got it. Uh, when Jesus, when uh, he died, Jesus uh, didn't go to to the the, the 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 house where he used to go, uh, where Mary and uh, Mary and who? Martha. So when, anyway, they he went he went to um, he he went up after several days, about four days, three days I think it was. He le and, and so uh, it, um, uh, Lazarus so, was, was, was in the grave three days. So, Melvin, let me just cut to the chase. How do you reconcile that with what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians? Do you know how to do that? I probably do, but I... <laughs> okay. Second, oh, where 2 Corinthians was talking about the, the Lord coming and raising the dead and all that? The, the passage you read about being absent from the body, present with the Lord, wasn't Paul talking about going to heaven when you die? No, it wasn't. No. How do you? How can you prove that from Second Corinthians, or can you? I probably. Uh, let me just look over. I think I can. Okay, we got to make it quick because we're running out of time. Second Corinthians 15, isn't it? Second uh, Corinthians five, five, verse five, six. Five, five, six. <coughs> I thought he said I'm so I'm so sorry to be like this. That's all right. It's okay. We'll give you one more minute. All right. Second <laughs> Corinthians five, is it? <coughs> one more minute. Second Corinthians five, verse six. Your Honor, if you please, his life is on the line here. Could you give him a few minutes? Uh, well, we do have. I'm, a, I'm all right with a few minutes. All right. Can you help him find the verse, please? Thank you. Okay. I know, but I don't remember when I need it. No. Second Corinthians 5. What was it? Verse 6 to 8. Okay. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we are present from absent from the Lord. Okay. So, <laughs> what is it talking about? See, that's yeah. That's what you hear. It's talking about ab. Uh, it ta it ta therefore, we are all always confident, knowing that we are ho uh, at home in the body and absent from the Lord. That's what it says. For we walk by faith. So it's not talking about death, actually. It's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual activity. I think. <laughs> we are confident. But, but doesn't it mention, doesn't it talk about mortality earlier in the passage, though? Mm -hmm. Mortality being swallowed up by life. Where is that at? Verse 4. Verse 4. For, yeah. for we that are in the tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon the mortality, might, that mortality may be swallowed up of life. Mortality so so isn't the context of this passage talking about death, mortality? Isn't that what mortality means, subject to death? Um, it's, 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 I think it's, it's, it's mostly that they're talking about spiritual mortality, not li literal mortality. Yeah, well, Your Honor, uh, and uh, fellow, not fellow, I'm sorry, and uh, you Seventh-day Adventists, uh, the, the, the text and the context really is clearly speaking about uh, death uh, in a very literal sense. All right. Thank and you, so, sir. Thank you so much. But this, thank you for is your there a second brave person try. That wants to. All right. This man's been trying to raise his hand for a while. The man with the wristband. 
Please state your name. Thank you so much. My name is Kay. Just Kay. All right, Kay. Nice to meet you, Kay. <laughs> I got some cheat sheets with me. Um, it says here in Job 14, 12, and 21. Are you using Amazing Facts Study Guide? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I'm new, please, so. Please did you, go. Did you, were you, were you here when? How would you know? You're not SDA. Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Order. <laughs> Sir, did you hear the well, instructions? Well, actually, I have a confession to make. I actually have been studying, and I'm really quite intrigued about what you got. Just go ahead. Keep going. Did you hear the instructions at the beginning that you can only use the Bible? I never paid attention in court. <laughs> You're going to pay attention now. Okay. No cheat sheets. Okay. Okay. Do you, do you have an answer to the question? Can I, I memorize it for a sec? <laughs> no. You either need to be ready to go or not. Are you ready? Go ahead. I'm not afraid okay. of amazing facts. You, you go. I'll take them down too. Okay. <laughs> it says here, uh, so man lies uh, down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused uh, from their sleep. His sons come to honor and he does not know it. They are brought low and he does not perceive it. Which means they're dead. Like they're, they are in a state of, yeah, Jesus says that they're in a state of uh, sleep. Uh, but uh, What about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? That's what we're really looking for. What, how do you reconcile those other verses with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He, um, thank you, sir. I don't know. Sorry. Appreciate it. Go ahead. All right. Thank you for the try. Thank you for the try. And unfortunately, I know that some of you are just itching to answer, but <clears throat> we only, in the, in this court, we only have two uh, opportunities to answer. So let me just tell you this real quick, and then we'll move to our um, next question. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul is definitely speaking about uh, waiting for the time that he will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. He does not mention when that transition occurs. He only mentions, I'm waiting for that time to be absent from the body. The same Paul who wrote 2 Corinthians also wrote 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he gives us, <coughs> excuse me, the time in which this transition occurs, in which mortality is swallowed up of immortality. And so that time is at the last trump. That's when we are absent from this corruptible body and receive our new body. It is not at death, but at the second coming of Christ. Okay? Secondly, uh, when you look at the examples of Elijah and Moses, uh, both of these individuals, Elijah was bodily taken to heaven and Moses was bodily resurrected. And so Jesus Christ, who was also in heaven, was bodily taken out of the grave. Um, if the disciples were running around saying Jesus is in heaven but his body was still in the tomb, they would have they been called crazy. Okay. So the point here is these people who experienced a special resurrection were bodily taken to heaven. So I like to tell people, you know, what's the greatest evidence that a person is still uh, with us on this earth? Go to their tomb, dig it up, and if you find that body, they're not in heaven. Jesus was literally taken to heaven. Elijah, literally taken to heaven. Moses, literally taken to heaven. And so that's the answer we're looking for, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord occurs at the second coming, not at death. Thank you. Also, this passage says there's two, two bodies, an earthly temple, earthly body, heavenly temple, heavenly body. And then the state that exists between those two temples is nakedness, representing death in the grave. All right, Mr. Paklov. Your Honor, my question to the Seventh-day Adventists has to do with the same topic. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we find a very clear passage that those who die are still in a state of consciousness. 
Seventh-day Adventists claim that the dead are dead and condemn these apparitions as being demons in disguise. And Your Honor, I find this very offensive, blasphemous, and very unbiblical according to this particular passage. In 1 Peter, if you're, if you're, if you're, please turn your Bibles there, chapter 3, beginning with verse 18, it says, For Christ also has, suffered, has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. According to this passage, the Bible clearly says that when Jesus died in the flesh, that he went and he preached to the spirits in prison, the spirits that suffered from the flood during the time of Noah, which shows that those who died in the flood are still in a state of consciousness. They're in the prison, which is clearly a place of holding, we believe is hellfire. And Jesus, when he died, he went to talk to them, to give them hope and to give another chance, which shows us, according to this passage, that number one, there is no consciousness in death. Number two, Probation does not close at death. Otherwise, why would Jesus go and preach to these spirits in prison? And then number three, that sometimes God sends people who die to give messages to others. Just like he, gave, he used his son Jesus when he died to give messages to these spirits in prison. And so how in the world can Seventh-day Adventists believe that the dead are dead when the Bible teaches so clearly against this? All right. Do we have a uh, witness that wants to answer the question? Ms. Farmer? Okay, I already saw this hand. We'll give her the first chance. Do you want a junior partner? A junior witness? Come on up, young man. Is this Christian or Alex? Alex. We'll let you guys work together on this okay. one. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. <laughs> then how come Jesus preached to them after they didn't know anything? Well. Okay, go ahead. Miss Farmer. You can work with them on I this. I guess I don't understand the question because it says here, the living know they shall die, but the dead know nothing. Well, that's perhaps your, your understanding of that verse. But, you know, one thing, that's the Old Testament. And, you know, Solomon, he wrote that at the end of his life. He was a little bit loony during that time. <laughs> um, but uh, this is the New Testament. And so it's newer than the old. Wait, wait, no. Witnesses don't ask the attorney's questions. Okay, well, you have to answer his question. Sorry. Okay, that's so just the way it works in court. Here's the question. Can you go ahead and put the I mic can't. up? Here's the question. What is First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 20 talking about? It seems to be saying that when Jesus died, he preached to some spirits in prison during the time of Noah, which shows that these people that died during the time of Noah are still conscious, and they received the message from Jesus, according to this verse. Go ahead. If you could put the mic up so he, we can all hear you. Thank you. I understand the question, but from the verse I read, it says the dead know nothing. So okay. the question is, what do you do now with what Peter's saying? Yeah. Uh, nothing. I mean, if the dead know nothing, there is. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, now I'm starting to doubt that this, this word is true. I mean, it seems like it's contradicting itself. If, if that's a clear understanding here. This is, seems to be clear saying something opposite, so. Thank you. Thank you very much. We have another witness. This will count as our second and last chance to answer this question. Please state your name. Rusty Cottrell. Judge, thank you for the opportunity to answer this question. You're reading the scripture, but maybe not completely. Let's go through it again. All right. For Christ hath once What suffered. verse are you on, sir? 
Good question. 18. My iPhone app is getting there. Okay, 18. Bigger the Bible is better because you can see. For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when, listen to this, once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So in the days of Noah, the Spirit was long-suffering with them. Noah's preaching with the Spirit of God was preaching to the people as they waited at that time. Notice that the scripture says they are now in prison, but he preached to them when they were not in prison, in the days of Noah, when Noah was preparing the ark. Every time Noah hit the, the ark with whatever they're putting it together with, it was like a evidence of Noah's belief and the spirit was speaking to the people through Noah's belief in building the ark. What about verse 18 where it talks about Jesus putting put, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the spirit? Isn't that talking about the time that, that he went and preached to these spirits in prison? What, didn't it happen when he died according to the context? Actually, I, no, because it says when the spirit went. It says, uh, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. And that waiting actually means um, that, is, that he's being long-suffering with them, given the opportunity as the Spirit speaking to them. Now, you're speaking of when Christ died. Okay, can I go to a different text? Sure. Okay. So, let's turn to um, Matthew. I believe the end of the chapter here. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Okay, so you're saying again that because, say it again, the question? Well, perhaps we don't have to go to another place. The difficulty that I'm having is in this particular passage okay, okay. in 1 Peter 3, okay. where in verse 18 it says clearly that Jesus was put to death in the flesh. That's talking about when he died. And then it says that he preached to the, the spirits in prison during the time of Noah. I think we're, we're out of time on this question, so go ahead and finish your own, answer your own question, please. All right. The key is in verse 19, the first two words of verse 19. It says, by which. It does not say, after which. Many people who use this verse to claim that there's consciousness in death, and when Jesus died, he went and preached to spirits in prisons, are assuming that that happened when he died. But it doesn't say after which, it says by which. In other words, the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead is the same spirit that preached through Noah during the time of, of uh, surrounding the flood. And so the key, and the, these spirits in prison, it's not talking about a literal prison, it's talking about in the bondage of sin. That the same Jesus that uh, was quickened or resurrected by the Holy Spirit was also anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to the poor, right? In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, the Spirit of God has anointed me to preach the gospel. And so this same Holy Spirit that resurrected him is the same one that anointed him to preach during the time that he walked on earth, but also he preached through Noah during the time of the flood. And so um, I know that the, the temptation is to go to other passages, and that's good. It's, it's good for us to have these other verses in mind when it deals with a specific subject. But always remember to look at these difficult verses to find out contextually and answer the question in the verse. That's, that's really the goal uh, that we want, um, you know, that God, I believe that God wants us to be able to explain these difficult passages. Thank you very much. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Next uh, <coughs> prosecutor, Mr. McIntosh. Uh, Your Honor, I noticed that Seventh-day Adventists, at least most of them, do not drink alcohol. But some of them do. So there seems to be a little confusion in their ranks. 
Um, and I was talking to one that used this verse in 1 Timothy that says, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's planting a brand new church in Timothy and it says, he said to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. And so I'm just wondering why in the world uh, there's any confusion. It looks like you should be able to drink alcohol. Do you think there's any, do you think there's a reason why the Bible associates confusion with Babylon and the wine that's in the cup? First anyway. Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23. Your Honor, uh, based upon yes. my credentials known to this court, I want to know if you can consider me an expert witness. Uh, do you want to voir dire the witness on his expertise, or do you want to stipulate to it? Um, we'll see how he spurts, and we'll see whether or not he's an expert. No, it doesn't work that way. You either have to accept him as an expert now, or have an opportunity to voir dire him for his expertise. So you have to make the choice before he answers the question. Just say yes. Yes. Stipulate. Okay. Your Honor. For the record, you are a? I am a physician, Your Honor. Um, All right. For how many years? Um, that's a really good question. So more much than, for expertise. More than, more than 10. Absolutely. More, more than for, 30. Uh, more than, uh, no. Okay. No. All right. Go ahead, Dr. Okay. Bivens. Um, in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? In 1 Corinthians three sixteen, it says, do you not know that you, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? In Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your Honor, as a physician, as anybody who ha reads any newspaper recognizes the damaging effects of alcohol on the body, if we're going to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, if we're going to have clarity of mind, and if we want the Holy Spirit to imbue us, we need to keep our bodies clear. And it really isn't talking specifically just about alcohol. And I would address our dietary habits in general. We must do everything we can to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, wholly Your acceptable. Honor, the text says a little wine is good for your stomach. I want to ask the doctor, what about wine is good for your stomach? Now, it, it's an interesting question. I'm going to quote a, a recent article that okay, came you out. You have one minute till we're. It, it came this out court because has to be adjourned in one minute. So. People have often thought, in fact, there's literature out there that shows that a little red wine, in this case, a little red wine is good for your digestion and for, for actually your heart. And actually, that study was repeated recently, and it was discovered that it, in fact, was fa fallacious. It was flawed. And in fact, the alcohol, even a little alcohol, it's been shown even early um, childhood in, in utero, the effects of even a small amount of alcohol had, has adverse effects on the body. So what do you do with this verse from Paul to Timothy? Um, I look at all the host of other verses where I look at presenting our body a living sacrifice, and I look at the adverse effects that we know just common sense, that it, it, and, and even these, these verses that I've quoted you, um, it's very clear to us that we need to abstain um, in every way we can, and it, it goes way beyond alcohol. It, go, it goes to our, okay. our dietary habits, our exercise habits. It's everything to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. All right, we're out of time. I just want to give you the last word quickly. I think that's an excellent answer. I just would add to it that the wine in this particular passage, it is a type of wine in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, that is good for your stomach's sake. In Paul's day, they would take grape juice according to Pliny, and they would reconstitute it or make it into, into concentrate, and they would take that grape juice, and when someone was struggling with a stomach ailment, they would add water to it. It was not alcoholic, and it would, in fact, help their stomach, and it would make it calm down. In fact, even today, I would recommend this as a great treatment, but this is not to be confused with drinking of alcoholic wine. You can have the benefit from having a little grape juice 
um, that helps not only your stomach, but your frequent infirmities, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. McIntosh. All right, let me end with a quote, and then Melody's going to come up and uh, give us our closing prayer as well as make an announcement. This is from Evangelism, page 69. The heading is, Doctrine Must Bear Scrutiny of Great Men. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Every position of truth taken by our people will bear the criticism of the greatest minds. The highest of the world's great men will be brought in contact with truth, and therefore every position we take should be critically examined and tested by the scriptures. Now we seem to be unnoticed, but this will not always be. Movements are at work to bring us to the front, and if our theories of truth can be picked to pieces by historians or the world's greatest men, it will be undone. We must individually know for ourselves what is truth and be prepared to give a reason of the hope that we have with meekness and fear, not in a proud, boasting self-sufficiency, but with the Spirit of Christ. We are nearing the time when we shall stand individually alone to answer for our belief. Religious errors are multiplying and entwining themselves with satanic power about the people. There is scarcely a doctrine of the Bible that has not been denied. Now, I just want you to think for a second. What if instead of asking for volunteers, we went and called every one of you up? How would that have felt? Pretty intimidating, right? But we need to reach the point, myself included, where we can answer these questions. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.